bits and pretzels inspire you. You will figure it out. This is clearly the place to be. Servus, everyone. I'm Britta Wedling, Editor-in-Chief of Bits and Pretzels, and this is a new episode of our podcast. It's in the genes of entrepreneurs to want to change the status quo. Most founders do that by starting companies, creating innovative products, and give back to society or become politically involved later, after a successful exit. But that has to change, demands the guest in our show today. Serial entrepreneur and education advocate Verena Pauster, who is one of the most influential founders in the German entrepreneurial ecosystem after building and selling children's app developer Fox and Sheep, and who was also named Young Global Leader by the World Economic Forum. And if that wasn't enough, just yesterday, Verena's first book came out. And in this show, we talk about her most important ideas to update the entrepreneurial ecosystem. For example, why founders should transfer what they have learned in their companies to the governmental system, to education and to healthcare in order to prepare Germany for a digital and sustainable future and why the time to act is right now. If I now don't do something and if I don't constantly, as Simon Sinek says, get out of my comfort zone and off the sofa and stop watching Netflix and whatever there is, which what you can spend your time with, then I'm going to sit there with 80 or 70 on a park bench and my children will say, mom, It was obvious uh, that climate would change. It was obvious that we would lose in the field of digitalization. It was obvious that nobody at school taught us anything about the world we live in now. Where were you? Like you were an entrepreneur. You knew that system. You even wrote a book. Um, um, why didn't you do anything? What, what were you afraid of? Uh, it's our country. Why didn't you go for it? Hey, Verena, thanks for coming on the Bits and Pretzels podcast today. It's great to have you here. Thank you so much. And we're actually in Berlin, Prenzlauer Berg, which is the fancy place. Uh, Very fancy. Where everything's happening in terms of entrepreneurship. How long are you living here? Ten years. Okay. Yeah, so I started in Berlin when, in the early days, yeah, when Oli Zamba was still building the companies himself and uh, the crowd in the startup scene was small. And now it's become a huge ecosystem and, and it was great to see the rise of it in the last 10 years. Yeah. So we have a lot of different topics to talk about today. Uh, you have a lot of different professions and one of your latest profession is that you became a book author and your book just got published yesterday, but you're also a company founder, an expert for digital education, World Economic Forum named you Young Global Leader, and you're also a campaigner with your Stay On Board Initiative, obviously, and we're going to talk about that uh, as well. And you also have political ambitions. Uh, as you've told me when we last met here in Berlin. So a lot of things that you do have to do with changing the status quo. Why do you think that's something entrepreneurs have to consider and entrepreneurs have to do more about? Well, first of all, I think it's in the genes of entrepreneurs to want to change the status quo. Um, they do that by founding companies and um, sometimes they found the company to then do good or to give back or to change the system afterwards, or they found companies to change the system with their company. So both is possible. But I also think both is necessary. So you you can choose either. Uh, if you say, first of all, I'm going to found something which might not change the future, it might not change the country for future generations, but may make me very successful, create uh, workplaces. And then once I'm I'm doing this successfully, then I can start about what else is there or I do it directly with the company. But neither 
is, I think, not good enough anymore in 2020 because the problems have become too complex or the challenges uh, to just say politics will solve them and we'll just watch. When you go to a different Instagram account with different, mm -hmm. you know, of the big entrepreneurs, um, you know, the, the idea about changing the future after you had a successful exit, for example, or you, you sold your company or whatever, is not like on everybody's mind. No, <laughs> true. Sometimes that. a lot of boats and uh, fast yeah. cars. Yeah. yeah. Why is that, you know, as somebody who is in the industry for a long time, why do we have like so many Ferraris instead of other things? Well, I think... First of all, it's 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 uh, the new economy, and there are a lot of things uh, similar to the old economy. Yeah, I think it was always a big status to have a fast car or whatever when you are successful. For me, this status has completely changed. Um, it's not about fast cars and flying to everywhere uh, all day long uh, and sitting in private jets anymore. It's um, it's more about what kind of world do we want to live in tomorrow? And I don't mean it in a, um esoteric way of, okay, and we all sit here and do yoga and, 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 and ask for world peace. It's more like, what can we do to be in the driver's seat of the future? And that starts with education. We have to uh, kind of give our children the ex education that they can be creators of the world of tomorrow. Because if we don't, they're just consumers. Um, they are brilliant in being consumers, but I think school has to teach them more. And in terms of digitalization, you can look into government, health, uh, everything. We're not very good at reinventing the digital world here in Europe or especially in Germany. And I think that also has to be on our mind. How can we transfer what we learned in our companies to the state system, to education system, to health system and to other areas. What do you think is like specifically the responsibility of entrepreneurs? You mentioned that entrepreneurs have this kind of change maker gene in mm -hmm. their DNA. What do you think do they have to do differently? I think they have to take their strength in business to this um political society side. So what they usually do is they scale their businesses. They're very good at growth. They get investors on board. They think in series A, series B, series C. So they're very much driven by moving forward. And then when they enter, let's call it the social area or the political area, then it's more for nonprofit. Let's, um, yeah, let's do something which helps us people here around us and not Uh, at, a, at scale. So what I would wish for is that they take the same ambition level, the same growth attitude, the same passion and transfer it to the other side, so to say, so that social entrepreneurship is not always the little sister or the little brother of right. proper entrepreneurship, right. but it, that it's uh, totally equal yeah. or even superior. Yeah, just something that you do like as a side project yeah. for charity. For your CV or because it sounds Because good. you feel great about it. I mean, look right? at Ecosia. I can't say how much I love this company because it's... Which is a search engine. It's a search engine that then plants trees uh, according to how many people use the search engine. Right. And it has uh, an ingrained uh, social cause. The more people search with Ecosia, the better it is for the environment. So you can only wish that this company goes all the way. And I think if we take these companies like Planetly, like Einhorn, like uh, Ecosia, Nebenan.de and say, let them get as huge as possible, because that will not only help the business side, but only the, also the social side. You obviously have an impressive Vita. When did you first realized that it was like kind of your responsibility uh, as an entrepreneur to focus on this topic? 
I think I always felt it, but I didn't confuse it with that doesn't mean that you can't make a lot of money and be successful. Right. So it's not like um, you're not allowed to pay yourself a salary. It all has to be very humble and small. No, let's go for it. Yeah, let's build the really big companies in this country. And if you look at the unicorns, uh, Omio, Celones, Get Your Guide, uh, Auto One, then then this is what we need in Germany and Europe to attract venture capital, to let the funds grow, to see that we can have huge exits that will make many people rich because then they will take the money, hopefully put it back into the ecosystem, found their own companies. So I'm very much on the side of let's make this ecosystem a real champion and a real competitor to ecosystems in Israel or UK or US. But on the other hand, um, I always felt this responsibility of it's not uh, in German, there's this word Selbstzweck. So mm -hmm. it's not just for that. So it is also a responsibility of an entrepreneur to look around himself and see what can I do for society. And I think if you look at the German Mittelstand, that's how they became big. Right. That they built schools in their villages, that they uh, in, introduced themselves into politics, that they opened their mouth when they saw something that right. wasn't going right. And we have to keep these values going. And absolutely. In this time of Corona and everybody, you know, trying to figure out, you know, how we can do better in education, for example, in healthcare. What, how do you look at the political landscape? I mean, you obviously mm -hmm. want to change something about it. Uh, we have like the big Lufthansa's of the world that get like billions from, from the government and, you know, the ecosystem, you know, where really innovation is, you know, thriving, which is a startup ecosystem, is like really left behind, right? So yeah. what, 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 what do you think? The political system, I think, is not set up for exponential change. So in those areas where change is happening so fast, data privacy, data protection, digitalization, education, I mean, uh, that all of our kids were at home homeschooling. That's something Germany would have never thought would be possible. It was the last thing we wanted. And when we looked to the US with their homeschooling system, we were always like, this will never happen here. Now it happened here to everyone. And we saw we're not, we're not really prepared for this. And so the change has become so fast that politics are kind of running after the change. So they're trying to find regulation and legislation to fix the future and And once they're there, the future has changed again. And so I think we have to think of new techniques, task forces, uh, ways to kind of get on, uh, ahead of the curve. And, and, uh, and an example is in the area of education, we have a... Um, a 5 billion um, euro fund called Digitalpakt here in Germany to give to the schools for digitalization. If we wait till every school has come up with a concept to ask for that money and then buy devices and they need nine months to be delivered, right. it won't work. It's too late. Yeah. So we need some special forces here. Uh, right. and, and I think this is something we learned in Corona more than ever. If, you, if there was a political party, uh, who would you join? Yeah, that's exactly the problem. Um, that um, <laughs> okay. I have been running through them in my head over and over and okay. over. And I I'm guess they reached out to you. I mean, you're obviously one of the yes, you know, but, but prominent don't faces. Over, don't over uh, expect them to reach out. It's, so who called? Yeah, no, that's the thing. It's not, I think, that politics looks to entrepreneurs and says, they, 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 they meet them, they go there, they right. say it's great to, to get your 
your insights, but that they ask them to join politics hasn't mm -hmm. happened too often. Okay. Um, because it's kind of like you're that system where this system, let's yeah. meet, but let's not mingle too much. Right. Um, and I think that's something we have to change. Uh, there was a great news last week of Verena Huberts, the founder of Kitchen Stories, joining the SPD and running for parliament next year. And these are the kind of headlines we need, not uh, because it would be nice, but because I think it's time that we get knowledge into the Deutsche Bundestag in the area of entrepreneurship, digitalization, yeah. education. Okay. And so back to your question, um, I wouldn't know who to join right now. Okay. And so... Um, so you would be the rebel outside then? Maybe I'm, I I stay the rebel outside. Maybe it's the new party. Okay. Um, that always sounds a little bit long-term, but right. in the end, every one of us knows who's founded a company. We always think it's a sprint when we start. We think this is something, okay, I know how, how it works. In two years, I'll be finished. And then right. we're all in year eight and we figure out, wow, this is kind still of... Still hard. Still hard and still nowhere near the end. And I think uh, that's how you have to look at politics. You can't fix it tomorrow and a single person can't fix it anyway. So maybe it has to be a movement. Maybe it has to be a new party. Maybe it okay. has to be something bigger. And we, don't, we don't have like the best experiences with new parties in Germany, I have to say. Well, though, that's but, true. Um, <laughs> but on the other hand, if you see the Greens in the 70s, okay, they took 30 years, but now they're big. Yeah. Um, the pirates of, obviously... Uh, where are the of, pirates? I don't know. Where are the pirates? Um, and yeah, AfD, uh, not, not really a yeah. big fan. Which is a neo-Nazi party just for our, you know... Um, international listeners here. Yeah. But yeah. there's a, a party um, called Volt, uh, which is a pan-European party. Mm -hmm. um, let's see if they uh, come to light. So I think yeah. you have to keep trying to change the system. We're too young to accept the structures as they are. Yeah. I wanted to ask you something because you're also not, not only a political mind, you're also a global mind. Um, and, you know, me spending, having spent a lot of time in the US, uh, I'm thinking a lot about the European ecosystem itself. Mm -hmm. And, you know, right now you see, you know, with Corona, with the Trump administration, obviously, you know, the, U the US is really falling behind in terms of innovation. It's really like the US becoming the Corona loser uh, in a way. On the other hand, China is like closing the wall uh, that we have like this big, big discussion around TikTok, obviously. Where do you see the European ecosystem, like from a higher level perspective what do you think can this ecosystem bring to the table and you know how can we use this corona situation to probably even like shape a new ecosystem a new voice mm -hmm. and what would this voice sound like I think it's a very human voice which we have to offer because if you look at, um, you, you said the US is the corona loser. If you look at the uh, Nasdaq or the big uh, digital companies in the US, they're probably the biggest winner of this crisis. Right. So the society in the US is the loser mm. and the people, but the companies that already went into this digital age 10 years ago or 20 years ago, they're the big winners. And They win, although the people lose. And so if you take that concept to Europe, then I would say our big strength is that we care about data, data protection and data privacy, that we care about values that uh, have to go to uh, via education to everyone, that we want a kind of social system that doesn't let people fall right down to the bottom. We want to protect them from, from healthcare issues, from social status. So I think 
we we are not allowed to run the risk of being like this safe haven and you don't really have to do much. The state will take care of you. That's always a risk if the state is very strong and has been doing very well in the last years. But on the other hand, let's build companies that don't exploit the people and that don't kind of give them the cost of data, but don't let them participate in the revenues. Yeah, uh, Let's come up with smarter business models that kind of include people. And I think that age will come that you're not willing to say, I'm giving you my life and you're not really giving me that much back. But um, let's think this together and let the big platforms of the future be a little bit more consumer friendly. Do, do you mean like life in terms of I'm giving you data, my data, who I am, how many kids I have, where right. I live, what I write. Yeah. It's kind of like it hasn't really become that obvious to us uh, because we haven't really involved ourselves too much into digitalization so right. far. We're just scared, but yeah. we don't really know what we're doing. Yeah. And I think that will change. Um, we will be more aware of what we want and what we don't want. And I think uh, we in Europe are better at then creating those companies and that system which we want to live in. You mentioned that we want to create a system that's good for the people, that includes people, that accepts rules and regulations. When I talk to entrepreneurs, some of them wish we, we didn't have so much regulation, like labor laws, for example, because obviously, you know, some of the companies that are successful that you mentioned in the US live on this higher and fire mentality, scaling fast. And, you know, for many entrepreneurs here, it's really a problem. How can we, you know, come up with smart regulation that would also be useful for entrepreneurs who need more flexibility? Absolutely. Their, their it's, a, it's a big topic. But then again, when I think about it, would someone not found a company due to bureaucracy in Germany or Europe? No, it's a bit annoying. You can't do it online. Uh, it's a lot of notary appointments, but nobody would really not go for it because it's too much bureaucracy. And then the second question is, would somebody stop because it's too much regulation or would he just move to the US? And I think Flixbus is a big and good example for that. I mean, there's probably no more regulated market than the one they went into, especially because they went pan-European. Mm. And then they went to the US and and I think they thought, oh, wow, this is pretty easy to start with because much less boundaries, much less regulation. But in the end, they are Europeans at heart. And my wish would be that we overcome regulation by showing how it can work and then talk to the politicians and say, listen, it doesn't make sense that we have 16 times something mm -hmm. here which a European company has to go through. And let's take Flixbus as an example. What exactly do we need to change? So I think it's better to talk specifically rather than to say we have to deregulate. And then it's like, okay, what does that mean? Where do we start? So, so my big wish is that funds... In, in, in Europe will become larger so that we don't sell off our successful mm. businesses in Series D and following to China, Japan and the US, but that we keep these founders here and then the US might be one of their markets, but the company, the employees, the brain, uh, the IP is still here in Europe. Yeah. And I mean, Flix Mobility is a good example because it obviously also benefited from, you know, less regulation because Absolutely. there was a decision in the government yeah. just for it our international listeners, yeah. uh, you know, that uh, there was like an opening up of, of the market. So that enabled them, um, you know, to move forward with their business models. Uh, Bestselling author Simon Sinek talks a lot about why you do something uh, and he demands us to not settle for the shallow, easy, self-pleasing and convenient answers uh, and don't mistake, uh, and I quote, ideal, wishful and vanity, wise with your true and honest inner why. What would be your inner why? 
I'm full of idealism um, and full of making things happen. And and my why is, it's not only because we have four kids, it's also because I feel we've got, we've accumulated so much wealth and so much social welfare in the last decades. And now we're kind of somehow selling off this welfare and we're not investing into the future enough. And so being 41, I feel like if I now don't do something and if I don't constantly, as Simon Sinek says, get out of my comfort zone and off the sofa and stop watching Netflix and whatever there is, which what you can spend your time with, then I'm going to sit there with 80 or 70 on a park bench and my children will say, mom, it was obvious uh, that climate would change. It was obvious that we would lose in the field of digitalization. It was obvious that nobody at school taught us anything about the world we live in now. Where were you? Like you were an entrepreneur. You knew that system. You even wrote a book. Um, um, why didn't you do anything? What What were you afraid of? Uh, it's our country. Why didn't you go for it? Right. And I don't want to have that dis discussion or oh, I want to have it. And then I want to say, I tried all I could. I tried to get as many people uh, moving as I could. Mm -hmm. Maybe it changed something. Don't know yet, but at least I went for it. Yeah. And, and was it comfortable? Zero. Yeah. Look at Corona times when I was sitting here at home with homeschooling and a three-year-old writing a book. My husband's also a founder. It would have been nicer to just skip the book, skip the hackathon via für Schule, skip stay on board and say, listen, guys, this is too much right now. But then I think, okay, we're still young. We can sleep when we're older. Uh, <laughs> let's, let's make it happen now. And if you would be the chancellor of Germany, what would you do? What would you change first? Which is an obvious, obvious question, right? Because you, you had like huge ambitions since you were a kid. I think you wanted to become a, the Olympic champion. So <laughs> yeah, that that's not, that, over the that, top, yeah. that's not too far away from your yeah, ambition. So. <laughs> but, but to be fair, it's not that I say, oh, if I was the chancellor, Germany would be running well. And now we have Merkel. I think, uh, it's also said in my book, uh, we did a lot of things right in the last month. And it's always so easy to bash and to say like, blah, blah, blah. And here we should have been faster. I think she did a very good job. But now I think it's also time for a new time, which will happen next year with the election. And so I think I would just put future topics more as a priority. If you look at how many people in the Deutsche Bundestag, our parliament, are experts in digitalization, what priority does education have in our country? Do we really have equality when it comes to women and, and men in, in leading roles? Mm -hmm. We only have 15% founders in the startup scene. We have less than 15% uh, women in the board uh, rooms. And you want to change that with stay yes, on board? It's kind of like as well. It's time. And it's yeah. not only man, woman, it's old, young. When I look at the young generation of the 20 to 25 year olds, I mean, they are amazing. They are full of political ambition, full of wanting to change the world. Why aren't they sitting at the table? Why does not every board ha have a under 25 year old at the table? Mm -hmm. uh, why don't we let their voices be more than the voices running through the streets and thinking like, oh, hopefully they'll shut up again soon because it's so uncomfortable to listen to them. And You mean Fridays for Future, obviously. Yeah, yeah. and if you look at the Bundestag, we're all 40 and older. If you look at the talk shows uh, in Corona times of 360 guests, 23, I think, were under 40. Wow. And it's like... Guys, it's our future and, and that should be reflected in politics. And, and so I think that's something what I would change or give more voice to. 
Before we go on, here's a brief message from us. You can meet Verena at our Bits and Pretzels Networking Week from September 27th to October 2nd, along with other world-class female leaders and role models in tech. Joining us this year are Margit Venmakas, operating partner at VC firm Andresen Horvitz, Michelle Romanov, co-founder of investor ClearBank, Anne Bowden, the CEO and founder of Saling Bank, and Jillian Tanz, chairwoman at Booking.com, and more. Our listeners get 10% off regular ticket prices. Just write to us at media at bitsandpretzels.com. Again, that's media at bitsandpretzels.com. Tickets are limited, so better hurry up. Coming to the next part of our podcast, which is our beer garden break. Oh, how nice. <laughs> <laughs> which we do because we obviously bits and pretzels and we invite everybody over for Oktoberfest, which is not happening this year, unfortunately. But even though we want to have like a little Bavarian taste in this in this podcast. Uh, so uh, I would say uh, we cheers. say cheers. Cheers. I pause it. What are we drinking to? Uh, we are drinking to... Coming out stronger out of this crisis and not going back to the normal we had before because that was not good enough, but trying harder to come to a new normal, which will take us into the future. Do you think this is happening? Because, you know, nobody knows, right? Nobody knows how much home office we will do, how much, you know, digital tools we'll use. Do you think we are going back or do you think we really... No, I think we're change. moving forward and, and we have to, but I think it's also happening. Uh, two days ago in the chancellery, the uh, Chancellor Merkel met with the um, educational ministers of the country and said, how can we buy digital devices for our teachers now uh, so that they can start practicing so that they are online? And I mean, that's nothing what we couldn't have done five years ago. Uh, it would have been nice for every teacher in this country to have that device five years ago. And now it's suddenly possible. But still, it's kind of like, okay, now it's possible. Right. And uh, in the healthcare system, we were able to, to do uh, online uh, consultation, which before was discussed for years. Um, homeschooling, as I said, would have been impossible. Uh, home office was always this, ah, oh, she's in home office again. I think she's washing her, her, her washing and, and looking after her kids. So everything that had kind of this, yeah, it's, yeah, we should maybe focus more on it, but it's not the time yet. Now is the time. Right. And, and so that is a little bit what my book is also about, going through these different areas and say, okay, now we kick it off. Now we don't go back to what we had. If you could have a beer at Oktoberfest with any person, dead or alive, who would it be? Oh, that's exciting. Um, it's a weird answer, but because I involved myself so much into the political system and into politics uh, over the last weeks, there was always this name of Richard Weizsäcker coming up. He's the former president of Germany. He was the mayor here in Berlin. He came um, as a mayor here to a time where nobody really wanted him. And he signed all my Ehrenurkunden as a child when we had Bundesjugendspiele, which is like this sport event you have at school. And so... I, he was very present already in my childhood. And now I thought like these last days, he's, he was such a, a brave man. He was such a smart person. He managed to build bridges between, um, maybe ecosystems or, or social, um, what you call it, circles that didn't really talk to each other. And 
we need more politicians again who think larger than their own party and their own ambition and kind of put the country first and say what do we need now to make it happen and not what place on the list can I get to get into parliament or who could I kind of um, blackmail at the local newspaper I'm not saying that they're all doing that but I feel like maybe some do maybe some do and maybe it's too much of a power play and too little of a idealistic future play we we should be needing right you obviously come from an entrepreneurial family most of the people in your family are entrepreneurs we're kind of you know what is like a natural path for you to become one Uh, as well, I don't think it's natural because if it was, we wouldn't have um, so many family businesses running out of uh, people who want to take over in Germany. It's a big uh, problem we have that uh, many now hand over from one generation to the next and the next generation isn't prepared or doesn't want to. So it's obviously not an automatic but in my case it was kind of like I couldn't resist um, It was kind of tough as a child also. It wasn't always just pleasant being the child of two entrepreneurs because you go the roller coaster with them all day. And, and as a child, you want security and not uh, no change and everything to be the same. And it was quite the obvious at some times. And, and you also talk in your book about how there were like always these high ambitions and these high, higher goals yeah, that you high set for expectations, yourself. Expectations uh, that you feel because you feel like I can't fail um, right. uh, with a family business that's been there for centuries in mm. our case. Uh, then you can't be the first dropout that, that makes uh, the mistake and lets the fa company fail. Yeah, what I did like about your book is how you talk about your big failure like the, the first yeah. failure and how it kind of sets you free for new stuff so so yeah. you know share this experience uh, yeah. with our audience i mean it's so common to say these days oh failure is important yeah i can't and hear it anymore it's no, just I like everybody is like I, i love people that that just make it yeah you don't have to fail it's just the way we treat failure and and i think in my case, failure was so necessary with my first company, which I founded with 25. I, I had uh, business angels. It went all really well. Everyone was like, wow, you're going for a salad bar. Which, yeah, and it was a great idea because yeah. back in the days, there, were not, there was not this no, it, trend it that we see. convenience fast food to a time where it wasn't, a healthy, convenient fast food where it wasn't there yet. Was this before Dean and David was It found? was before Dean and David. It was before Vapiano. It was before uh, any bowl concept right. or anything. Yeah. So timing-wise, I was probably too early, but mm -hmm. maybe it was just also a lack of execution. But whatever it was, it was a failure in the end because after one year of trying, we, we still hadn't opened the first venue and money was getting uh, kind of tight, but nobody obviously wanted to give us more because we hadn't proven the case. And we were rookies. We were not like, oh yeah, we haven't shown you yet, but give us the next million because uh, we'll show you then. It was right. still a different time in 2003 and four. Um, but it taught me, first it taught me, uh, it's not uh, luck if you succeed. It's hard work, smart decisions, good timing, the right team. So it's a lot of ingredients you need for success. So don't think you can be a lifestyle founder and just walk into it and it will all happen I, i mean nobody who really does that thing thinks that maybe just i mean you see like many well, you know so-called hippie founders 
here in Berlin, yeah. you don't see them too much in, in Munich. No, that's though. true. Sometimes it, may, it looks too easy from the outside uh, and then you think, oh, it's not that hard. So I think that was the one learning that I just knew, okay, if you do this again, it, it's going to be hard again. Yeah. So make no mistake that, uh, that, you, that you get anything for free. And the second thing in my um, case was when you fail it kind of sets you free from expectation because everyone is kind of like, oh, wow, I could have told her straight away it wouldn't work or they're not exactly helping you up. They're more like, oh, well, should have stayed at told Munich Re. So. Um, yeah. and, and so you kind of have to get up yourself and then you feel like, okay, after I got up myself, I'm still me, still have a brain, still can go for the next job um, and maybe I can still try it again another day. Um, it felt... I felt much more freed from, okay, next time has to be a success because nobody really thought it Expected. would be. No. Yeah. It was like, oh yeah, her again. And, and so that, I think, was good. Mm -hmm. Gave us some easiness for the next founding. Yeah. You, your father is obviously an important person yeah. in, in your life. What did you learn from him and what did you do? What, what are you doing differently right now? A passion. He is up till today, now 66, he can be passionate about something um, which he heard five minutes ago. He'll, he'll start writing notes on a piece of paper. He'll start making phone calls. He'll start running around the place and, and, and saying, we have to do this. Uh, it comes from one minute to the other and he's on fire. And I think that's very much me. The backside of it is when you then realize it wasn't that great, you kind of cool down very quickly and your surroundings like, what happened? You, you loved that idea 10 minutes ago. And you're like, yeah, but uh, not anymore. So it's kind of exhausting for your surrounding because it's up and down, up and down. But obviously it moves a lot of people and, and ideas because you, you don't just pass something and say, oh, here we could do something. You pass, say, here we could do something, and then you start. And I think that's something I learned from it. You, we talked about the expectations already, but how was it like to grow up in this kind of environment with you know, all the entrepreneurs around you as a kid? It's funny because you try to not add complexity to their lives. It's a very weird answer, but you, you kind of just do your thing and talk more about what went well than uh, what went wrong you try to not put so many problems on the table because there are there are already many challenges on the table and so you go to sports yourself you go to school yourself you try to, good, to get good grades you try to just do a good job of being um, a child which doesn't need more attention um, because there's already so much attention on the company and that is fine for a while, but after a while you feel like, what about me? Uh, I have dreams, I have personality, I maybe want to go a different way, maybe I now don't want to please you anymore, but that comes much later, I think, uh, for entrepreneur, uh, children of entrepreneurs than for other children. They rebel with 16 and start spraying their hair and whatever. Smoking Smoking or and doing sh stuff, and uh, you can't stereotype it, but Children of entrepreneurs probably do that later. Like when they are in their 40s? No, not, hopefully not that late, <laughs> but uh, definitely in their mid-20s to 30s okay. because they have to kind of 
what what would you call it? They have to kind of this urge to yeah, explode or do you something. You need some courage first, and you have to have some own experience first, and the feeling of I can make it by myself. And so I I kind of rebelled with 25 instead of 16. Okay, what did you do? Like well, I I failed a salad bar. I. Uh, ended relationships that shouldn't have been ended that way um, I just kind of uh, that sounds like considerably not like scandalous no or... it wasn't scandalous it's true I didn't uh, yeah no I wasn't in jail or something so I, it's still a child of entrepreneurs way okay. to rebel no okay. but um, but it was kind of the rebel part was okay I I might not want to go into that family business I want to found my own mm -hmm. is that okay uh, after almost 300 years of this company may I be the first one to not want to do it okay. and so it's 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 for an outsider it's not that much of a rebel but for an insider it's like wow she's courageous to say she might want to go down a different road yeah is there any thought in your mind of doing that eventually later in your career joining the company taking over the company are you well, on the board right mm -hmm, uh, I'm on the board yeah. and I'm a shareholder but my problem always is if you ask me anything over three years like what is in three years I can maybe answer but if it's in five years I, I reject to answer because okay. I don't want to know what happens so It might happen, but I haven't got any thought of it in my head right now. And uh, my husband always says, uh, let the game come to you. He played basketball uh, professionally. Oh. And, and he said, you can try to script everything and try to say, okay, if I do this, then that will happen. And then, or let the game come to you. Maybe in five years is the right time to do so. Then nobody will stop you, but you don't have to think about it today. Uh, live your life now, and then see what happens. I mean, in five years, you might end up, you know, being the chancellor. Absolutely, of Germany, very, you know? very likely. Yeah. <laughs> Coming to our toolbox right now, which is the part of this show where our guests share three tools they find useful for their own entrepreneurial life and they want to you know give to our audience so what would be your three tools like three advices that you used in your entrepreneurial life that you find useful number one uh, first of all delegate everything which you don't have to do And don't control it. So because then it's not delegated, then it's just like outsourced for a while. So really think of what is the core of what I am good at and how can I get rid of all the rest? Um, because if you look at companies that go far, it's always about focus of the founder. If he focuses on what he is great at and where nobody else is as great at as 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 great at as him, then companies in my eyes um, are, are really successful and so this is one thing um, because there's so many possibilities you can go to this event you can network you can involve yourself into marketing you can write the PR text yourself you can uh, walk through your company all day talk to everyone but if you have one strength that is really relevant for the company you founded then maximize that strength so that would be one number two, number two. the second thing is don't underestimate um, storytelling, PR, and putting out a message beyond your company. Nobody wants to listen to company news. Yeah, sending out a press release, and yeah? who's going to read that? Uh, full of marketing uh, for your company. Nobody's going to read an article of how great your product is, because obviously you're going to say that. 
But maybe you, someone will listen to you if you say how diversity uh, made us grow um, by factor three. Or um, maybe it is, in my case, why the educational system needs an update. Then it's like, ah, she founded a company in the area of education and now she talks about a system change. And her company is not mentioned with one word. So it's not about her. It's about something greater she wants to go for. And this is only something I can advise founders to do, to use their own face, personality, power to, to bring out news or, or, or stories out there um, without having a PR agency who says, be a little bit, bit more like this or like this. No, be you. It's also not working. I can It won't you. work. <laughs> Everyone will notice in minute one that somebody's writing your tweets and rather don't tweet than just have somebody yeah. writing weird stuff. I mean, journalists are not buying it anyways. No. Right? And so don't underestimate the effect of also playing, uh, having a voice in the social media world. It's something many male founders uh, say like, total waste of time, all these women in Instagram and, and, and they do that all day. It's all uh, useless and so. And I must say, I would have never been able to start the big movements I started this year if I wouldn't have had a voice that people uh, listen and follow. And, and that's larger than the company you founded. So that's the second thing. Number three. And the third thing is um, have something to go to beyond your business. Um, and it doesn't have to be kids. Kids is not for everyone. Um, it doesn't have to be a dog or a cat or, or a hobby, but it has to be something. And it has to be something which you have equal passion for. Um, so that it's not like this, shit, I said I want to do sports three times a week right. or it would be good if I brought my kids to bed, although I don't right. feel it. Or yeah. Why do you think that's necessary? That is have? necessary because otherwise the system gets you. It is so intense, the life of a founder. It is so intense to be the constant motivator of your employees, also, especially in times where it doesn't go well. You, you need so much strength and it's very lonely at the top. So even if you have a good management team, the founder is a is a very strong role you have and you can't really have weak days and somewhere the energy has to come from. And if I looked at founders that had a strong other field, they were spending time in and it doesn't have to be a lot of time. It just has to be something you're equally passionate about. Then they survived longer They stayed healthier. They had more passion. They liked their companies for a longer time. They didn't have to sell off because they were kind of burnt out. So it's 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 something, it, there might not be a study about it, but it's something I've seen a lot of times uh, and which, which might be something uh, to learn. So the last part of our podcast is our either or game. Oh, nice. And this is how it works. I give you two words. Mm -hmm. You choose one mm -hmm. and explain real quick why mm -hmm. you've made this choice. And the first one is obviously bits or pretzels. Bits. Because I think uh, coding has to be uh, much more in our DNA. Conquer or compromise? Conquer, definitely. Um, I know we need compromises, but uh, with conquering, we move forward. Chaos or order? Order. Um, I'm, my husband jokes about me when I start cleaning up as soon as I come home. Ideas or numbers? Ideas. Ideas move the world. Numbers are great, but they're kind of boring. Tradition or transition? I would 
would go for tradition. I like it if things have been uh, in a certain way for for a long time. We just have to make sure that they always move uh, into the future with us. Speaking or listening? Speaking, as you can see. Verena Pasta, thank you so much for coming on the Bits and Pretzels podcast today. Thank you so much, Britta. All right, that was it for today. Thank you so much for listening. If you like what you hear, please subscribe. You find all episodes of this show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to podcasts. Spread the word and please tell at least five friends about us. We would really appreciate it. Don't ever miss breaking startup news from Munich, Austria, and Switzerland again. And learn the latest about what top founders and VCs from the international innovation community we have in store for our event in the fall. Come and visit us at bitsandpretzels.com. Again, that's bitsandpretzels.com. Stay safe and see you next week. 